0: Welcome to another podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International. You can find out more about CGI Burlington on our website at CGIburlington.org. Well, good afternoon, brethren. It's good to see so many brethren here, given that we have uh, so much going on this weekend. I think it was Mark Twain who said, "Uh, Rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. I think I could also say that, uh, you know, rumors of our longevity are greatly exaggerated. We are all just a heartbeat away from death. And I think with the condition that I have, or the exaggerated condition, found out that it was exaggerated, uh, but it is a condition where you see athletes just drop dead uh, and the heart just stops working. And I think it's good for us to number our days, especially today, especially in Canada. Uh, Canada is no longer the beautiful country that it once was because Canada no longer has borders. Uh, we have people crossing illegally into Canada, and our prime minister has decided to house them in hotels and give them the best of care and then transport them from wherever they come in, primarily through Quebec, across the country. And some of the reports from the hotel owners are just atrocious. Uh, They are spreading fecal matter all over the hotel. They're desecrating Bibles. They're harassing the female working staff. Uh, There's no sense of here are our values as Canadians, and you're welcome to come into Canada legally, uh, and we want you to uh, assimilate into our culture and accept our values. Instead, wide open. Come on in, one and all, and we'll actually... Uh, give you better care than we actually give to Canadians. Because of that, Canada is becoming a very dangerous country. Uh, All the, the violence and unrest and chaos that we see in the Middle East, that's coming to Canada. And it's just a matter of time. And so unfortunately what that means is death is very much a part of Canadian life. We had just recently a 10-year-old girl murdered in cold blood. 18-year-old woman murdered in cold blood. And there's no outrage. The media is silent on this. And the there is no examination of the root cause and how to resolve it, how to make sure it doesn't keep happening. Instead, all the conditions are there that say this is going to accelerate. So while we... Acknowledge that Canada is failing as a country. And this sort of mayhem, violence, murder, which was once unheard of in Canada. Canada was just a safe little haven in the world. Uh, As we see this starting to accelerate and and increase in Canada. and, And, you know, there's one reaction that people will have. Let's eat, drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. And so when people are faced with this amount of violence a lot of people just become kind of depressed and just decide to live lawlessly. We can't do that. And so while we're surrounded by and we will increasingly be surrounded by death and violence and chaos and unrest and incivility our focus needs to be on life. Our focus needs to be on eternal life. This life is really nothing. It's it's that. It's a vapor we are going to live forever. We're going to be talking to each other knowing that there's no such thing as death. That we will continue this conversation forever. Our Lord Jesus Christ will be on earth. We will be with him, figuring out how we bring this gift of eternal life to mankind. And so while we focus on this gift of life in a backdrop of death, I want to today focus on the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. It is a chapter that in many ways you can treat it as a standalone chapter. In fact, you could take Hebrews 11 and put it in the book of Romans, put it in Corinthians, uh, put it anywhere, and it would just fit because it's this sort of standalone unit But I want to show today that it's not a standalone unit, that it very much belongs exactly where it is in the letter of Hebrews. And I want to look at the context leading up to Hebrews 11 so that we can better understand it and show that the context shows us that although Hebrews 11 is all about death, that the focus God wants us to have is life. That we must be people who are very much focused on life, for whom death means nothing. Death means nothing. It's a sleep. And then we wake to eternal life. If you don't mind, I'll just take my jacket off so that I can be cool up here. I I missed that. I already am cool. How kind, how flattering. (laughs) Then why am I sweating? (laughs) Um, If you do an examination or a search of the word faith and its derivatives, unfaithful, faithful, and the word belief and its derivatives, in the book of Hebrews, you'll get a chart that looks like this. That shows that the apostle really begins the letter talking a lot about faith and belief and unbelief. That seems to be the subject of the letter. And then all of a sudden, in chapter 7, he aborts discussion of faith and belief. And chapters 7, 8, and 9, there's no discussion of faith and belief. And then all of a sudden, uh, 9 and even beginning in 10, but all of a sudden at the tail end of 10, Beginning in, and then into 11 and 12, he resumes this argument about the importance of faith and belief. And so it kind of begs the question why did he abort his focus on faith and belief in these middle chapters? And then all of a sudden come back to it. So let's answer that question uh, by going through and examining what the Apostle is doing with Hebrews, why the focus is on faith, and why our focus has to be on life. In this first part of the book, he introduces Christ and how faithful Christ is. And then he begins to make the argument that because of who Christ is, in fact, let's go to Hebrews 1, verse 1. where we actually see the argument that the Apostle is making in the letter, the appeal he's making to the Hebrews. In Hebrews 1 and verse 1, he says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, Has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So, this is a letter from a Hebrew to the Hebrews. That he's saying, We have this relationship with God. No one else does. And this God, in various ways and in different ways, in various times and in different ways, he spoke to our fathers. Nobody else. We are the ones that have the covenant relationship with God. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Every prophet that came, came to the Hebrews, was a Hebrew to the Hebrews. But now there's a difference. In these last days, he's actually spoken unto us, and not by the prophets, but by his son. The son of God has spoken unto us in the last days, whom he appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the world's. This is really the keynote of the letter, that God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but today he speaks to us through his son. If you look at Hebrews 2.17, he writes that, Therefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. So I'm just going to be showing you here how um, Paul is using faith in these first few chapters before he takes a break. And he's showing here that Christ is going to be a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. In Hebrews 3.2, he emphasizes this again by saying that he was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Then you'll see in verse 12 now. So first, Christ is faithful. He's the high priest, and he's a faithful high priest. Then in verse 12, he issues this warning. So this is all to the first century Hebrews, but the argument that I'm making is, by extension, is to the 21st century Hebrews. It's to us. We are all the 21st century Hebrews. So he's saying to them, beware. Take heed, brethren. So there's this faithful high priest that God has spoken to us through him. He spoke to the fathers, through the prophets, but he's speaking to us through his son. And now he says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. This is the heart of the matter. Uh, No pun intended. This is the heart of the matter. That... Within the Hebrew brethren, they could have a heart of unbelief. And he's warning them, be careful. Don't allow this to happen to you. So Christ is faithful and he's an apostle. He's a messenger of God, superior to any other messenger. But he's also our high priest. So there's no reason for us to allow, entertain a heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. In verse 18, he says, and to whom did he swear? that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So Paul is making it very clear. The issue is faith. Christ is faithful. We must be faithful. God sent prophets to the fathers. The fathers didn't believe the prophets. The fathers allowed unbelief to build in their heart, and they were rejected by God. He swore in his wrath that they would not enter into his promise. Because of unbelief. That was the issue. It was nothing else except unbelief. Verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. In chapter 4 verse 2. He says. For unto us was the gospel preached. As well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. Not being mixed with faith. In them that heard it. So the, the, the fathers heard the same gospel. That we have heard. The fathers. The, the same promise that's extended to us. Was extended to them. But they didn't believe. So even though they received this glorious gospel. It was of no benefit to them. And he's saying be careful. Because we're hearing the same gospel today. And if it's to be of any benefit to us. We must have faith. We must believe. Verse 3, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 6, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein. So there is a rest coming, and we can see that there are going to be a people of God That are going to enter into that rest. And they to whom it was first preached. Entered not in because of unbelief. So the the, the gospel is about the rest. And the people who first received the gospel. It didn't benefit them. Why didn't it benefit them? Because of unbelief. And now we're receiving this gospel. The only way it will benefit us is faith. We must believe that he is faithful. Who promised that it's impossible for him to lie. Verse 11 of chapter 4. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. And, and the labor is obviously going to be a, a work of the heart. We don't want that evil heart of unbelief to take hold within us. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. I, I hope it's clear what the apostle is arguing. That this is all about faith. It's all about the heart toward God. Now, he really concludes this argument that he's making. If we look at chapter 6, so he says we have to, be la- we have to labor to enter into that rest. Chapter 6, verse 12, he says, Do not be slothful. Instead, be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So our fathers did not inherit the promises because of unbelief. But there were still some, you can think of Caleb and Joshua and Moses, who will inherit the promises. So we have to be like them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And not like the rest, who, who just allowed this evil heart of unbelief to not believe in the word of God. So this is the argument that he's making in the first part of the book here. Why faith features so much in the book. He's talking about the importance of faith, the examples of disbelief, and how catastrophic those examples were and were not to be like that. Then he aborts the argument altogether. And in 7 he introduces the notion of what he called the strong meat. That he he came to give them meat, but then he saw that they couldn't handle it. That they were really, even though they were Hebrews and they should be teachers by now, the condition they were in is he just had to give them milk. But then he says, you know what, we're going to go on. And I am going to give you the strong meat. And the strong meat is in 7, 8, and 9. And that strong meat is that Jesus Christ is a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. He's of the Melchizedekian eternal order of priesthood. And that this changes everything. That the Levitical priesthood is obsolete. That there's a priesthood, even though he's not of the tribe of Levi, he's of the tribe of Judah, there's an eternal priesthood that is superior to the Levitical priesthood. He introduces that in 7. In 8, he says that this Melchizedekian priest is administering a superior covenant. He's administering the new covenant, a covenant of the spirit, versus a covenant of the flesh. In 9, he says that this superior high priest is administering the covenant in chapter 8 in a superior tabernacle in heaven, not on earth. And that in this superior tabernacle, he is bringing a superior offering Not bulls and goats, but his own blood. So the superior high priest of the Melchizedekian order is administering a superior covenant in a superior tabernacle with a superior offering. Now we come to... and, And so what I'm saying now is that's why he doesn't talk about faith here. Because what he's arguing now is why we can have faith. So he sets it up to say how important faith is. Then he shows us who we're having faith in. And if we understand that it's a superior high priest of a superior order, administering a superior covenant in a superior tabernacle with a superior offering, how can you not believe? How can you not trust him? So this is why we can have faith. And now he comes to the next argument. And what I want to show you is this. In Hebrews 3 verse 1, he says, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. So there's two things he wants us to consider as he opens the, the, the sermon or the letter. One is the apostle and two is the high priest of our profession. So the apostle is one cent. He spends the first four chapters Showing that Jesus Christ is superior to any other messenger that's been sent. Whether it's prophets or angels. Any other messenger that came with the word of God is inferior to this apostle. First four chapters. Then from chapter 5 to chapter 10, he helps the Hebrews consider the high priest. So from 5 to 10, it's all about the consideration of how Jesus Christ is a superior high priest. And so he juxtaposes him to Aaron, juxtaposes him to the Levitical priesthood, and just shows that he's a superior high priest. Now, in chapter 10, he's going to introduce the third consideration. So we can really structure the book of Hebrews in three phases. Superior apostle, consider that. Meaning, if you reject this messenger, look at what happened to the fathers. When they rejected the inferior messengers. So if they were punished so severely. For rejecting the inferior messengers. If you reject this apostle. What will be your fate? First four chapters. The next five chapters. He's saying consider the high priest of our profession. And he's really saying. There's no reason for us to fail. Consider this high priest who is administering the service of God, and his, his objective, his mission, is to bring us to God. And he's doing this with a, a superior high, high priesthood. So how could we... Yes, there's a huge threat looming over us. If we reject this, this messenger and this message, because the gospel was preached to them and it was of no benefit. Now it's being preached to us. If we reject this messenger, our fate will be worse than the Father's. But then he says, "But consider the high priest of our profession. So if we consider this high priest, we can be confident. And so now he comes into chapter 10 with the third consideration. And we'll see this as we come along here. In chapter 10, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Now that we've considered the high priest, you know what? We don't have to waffle. We don't have to waver. We don't have to doubt. We can just come with full assurance and a true heart, not allowing this evil heart of disbelief. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. That's what this superior offering of Christ enables us to do, to take this evil conscience and have it sprinkled. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith. And, and, you know, I'm sensitive to this language because when I was getting married, when I was dating my wife, her father is a very strict man. Uh, He has uh, eight children and uh, just one of these patriarchs that's very strict. And everybody was sort of worried for me when I went to meet him to ask for my for his daughter's hand in marriage and the last person was my brother-in-law as I was going into the house he was coming out and he just looked at me and said good luck and like people just thought he would he would not accept me cuz he didn't know me and so we sat we talked and i said that i would like to marry your daughter and he said this to me he said i accept you on the profession of your faith I was a young man. I was a young Christian. I didn't really know what that meant, but it sounded like yes, so it sounded good. <laughs> but he said, I, will ex- I accept you on the profession of your faith. And, and later I came to understand that he didn't know me, but I had professed Christ. And that meant that I had a set of values. I had an objective that to him, that's good. I, I will accept you as my future son-in-law because we share the same faith. Here now he's saying, hold fast the profession of our faith. And he's saying that after saying, consider the high priest of our profession. So I've made a profession. Now he's saying, hold fast that profession. And the way to hold fast that profession is to consider the high priest of our profession. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith Without wavering, remember, they're facing intense persecution. As I said to you at the outset, Canada is changing. We're, we're and Western civilization, Europe, the UK, America. We're importing, maybe I have to take America out for the moment. We're importing by the tens of thousands, in some cases the hundreds of thousands, getting into the millions, a whole new population that does not profess our faith. That has no regard for our faith. That has the opposite of our faith. That persecutes our faith. And they're just coming in. And in 10, 20 years, our societies will be totally different. And we will face intense persecution. And Paul is saying, hold fast. You've made a profession. Hold fast without wavering. In the face of persecution? Well, how can I do that? For he is faithful that promised. We are a people that focus on what we hear. And we have heard from the messenger a promise. That promise is the gospel. It was preached to our fathers. It's preached to us now. With them, it wasn't mixed with faith. With us, we consider who's making this promise. And that it's impossible for him to lie. And so we're going to hold fast our profession without wavering. Why? Because the one that promised us eternal life is faithful. We believe in him. We believe in his word. We believe the whole creation came into being because of the power of his word. And it remains in in its state because of the power of his word. We believe in his word. Verse 24. This is now the third consideration. One to four, consider the apostle. You better think about who's bringing this message. And he's superior to anybody else who came before him. Five to ten, or first part of ten, consider the high priest. We don't need to be unsuccessful. Consider who is behind us. Who wants to bring us to the finish line? And now the third consideration. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The problem now with this verse is we read the verse, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. That sounds like a nice thing to do. As soon as we finish reading that verse and we go to the next verse, we have completely forgotten what the instruction was, that we're to consider one another. Why do we do that? Because we're so self-absorbed. So when I read the next verse, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching, I've completely forgotten that this is in the context of considering one another. So this considering one another, I'm going to make the argument, it starts here, And it doesn't finish until chapter 13. So chapter 11, the faith chapter, is in the context of considering one another. That when we're reading all of these examples, it has something to do with this new phase of Paul's message, considering one another. So he says, let us consider. So first of all, we're to hold fast our profession because he's faithful. Then we're to consider one another. Once, so, so we're going so verse 23, hold fast our profession of faith and don't waver because he's faithful. Now, now that we've got that, we're holding on. Now, let us consider one another. Why should we consider one another? To provoke unto love and to good works. And that word provoke, if you look at the Greek, it's quite a strong word. It, it really means sharp contention. That we have a vision of the future that's so clear and a love for one another that's so deep that we're not going to allow each other to falter. That when we start seeing each other wavering, we're going to be in each other's face to say, sister, brother, come on, get, get back with the program. Don't let that evil heart of unbelief take hold, take root. So we're to, so we're to hold fast and then we're to consider one another and provoke one another. So first, the first consideration is so that we can provoke one another unto love and good works. Then he says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. So not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together is in the context of considering one another. So I'm going to hold fast my profession. Now that I've got it, I'm going to consider everybody else. And as I'm considering everyone else to provoke everyone else to love and good works, I can't forsake the assembling. Because my mission is to provoke everyone else to love and good works. If I forsake the assembly, then I cannot fulfill that commandment. So in order to fulfill that instruction of provoking one another to love and good works, I cannot forsake the assembling. Because I'm considering one another. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together As the manner of some is. So some of the Hebrews have already abandoned the congregation, the assembly. Instead, exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So I'm to hold fast the profession of my faith. Then I'm to consider my brethren. And then I'm to make sure I show up so that I can be encouraging and exhorting and provoking my brethren so that we are all successful. That there's no way the finish line is there, and we've got brothers who've given up. We've got sisters who've abandoned this calling. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we turn on the news, we see what's going on, the day is approaching. That means we're in we're into the assembly, the congregation, the community, even more. We're looking for as many opportunities as possible to be together, not as many opportunities as possible not to be together. So so the weekly service is not enough. We're like, what else could I do? Well, how, maybe I could create an opportunity that we could come together during the week. However we do it, we're, we're doing the opposite of forsaking, as the manner of some is. Instead, we're being together so that we can be each other's keeper. And we can exhort one another and encourage one another. Hold your place here and just look at Hebrews 3. Just to show that we want to be an assembly and not just weekly. Here in Hebrews 3 verse 13, he says, but exhort one another. So we're not to forsake the assembly. Rather, we're to exhort one another. Here in verse three thirteen he says, exhort one another daily. Be in community. Be, be together. Exhort one another daily while it is called today. So when you see that the day is approaching. So while it's called today, Let's be with each other daily, encouraging and exhorting one another, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So it's not just about me. I hope I make it. It's really important that I make it. No. We have been called together. We are the body of Christ. I'm going to make sure I show up in the body to exhort and encourage. Why? Lest any of you Anybody can be discouraged. It, you know, it's easy to be switched on when everything's going well. And then life just changes. Life happens to us. Look at our brother Paul McIntyre. From one, 24 hours, his whole life has changed. It can happen to any of us. The strongest pillar can be a miserable weakling in 24 hours. You look at what happened to um, Tommy Robinson. Two months of solitary confinement, that damages the mind, and that they wanted to destroy him. Any of us who are faithful to the word of God, like Paul, can end up in their prison at Her Majesty's pleasure. And when we're there, they do whatever they want to us. And they can psychologically damage us. And again, the strong pillar today can be the miserable coward tomorrow. So we need each other and we need to be thinking about each other and exhorting one another daily while it's called today, lest any of us be hardened. And that's the whole point here, that the, the evil heart of unbelief sets in through the deceitfulness of sin. Let's go back to Hebrews 10. So just keep this as we're, we're, we're leading up to Hebrews 11. Keep in view now that we're in the third Phase. What do they call that in, in um, classical music? When there's these movements, right? So this is the third movement. So the first movement is consider the apostle and beware. The second movement is consider the high priest and be encouraged. The third movement is consider one another and encourage one another. So we're in the third movement now. Hebrews 10 verse 26. And, and as, we're, as we're in the third movement, resist the temptations. To make this about you. Resist the temptation to think that the book of Hebrews revolves around me or you. It's, this is, we're in the third movement, which is consider one another. So verse 10, 26, keep 24 in mind. Don't throw it away. For if we sin willfully, so when we read this, oh, it's about me. I better not sin willfully. No, it's not about you. We're in the third movement. It's one another. So if a brother sins willfully, so you're holding fast your profession, great. Stay in the assembly and exhort the brothers and sisters. Because if a brother or sister sins willfully, after they've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. That's it. So we've got to have this heart for one another. Instead, a certain fearful looking for of judgment. And fiery indignation, which is what the first art movement was about. That this first, this apostle is so superior that if we reject him, we only need to look at what happened to the fathers to get an inkling of what's going to happen to us. A certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversary. So the wrath of God is coming on this world. We want that wrath to pass over us. If we reject the blood of Christ... There's no more sacrifice for sins. And there's no Passover. There's no second Passover. He that despised Moses' law. So now he's talking about the fathers. That rejected the prophets and the original apostles. And angels that came to them. With the gospel. He that despised Moses' law. Died without mercy. Under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment. Do you suppose. Shall he be thought worthy. Who has trodden the underfoot the son of god this is not about you don't read yourself into this scripture read your brother read your sister into this scripture and your brother or sister is reading you into this scripture we are our brother's keeper so this is under the uh movement of consider one another so i'm going to hold fast my profession but that doesn't mean i can walk away from the congregation because something isn't to my liking I now need to immerse myself in the congregation because of how much sore punishment do I suppose shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and done insult to the spirit of grace. So this is again under. The consideration of one another. And and, and we mustn't. Confuse grace with niceness. Grace and niceness are not synonyms. You know, when, when Saul confronted King Agag, he was nice to him. He spared him. That's not grace. When Samuel confronted King Agag, he hacked him to death. Under the spirit of, inspired by the spirit of grace. Let's not confuse grace and niceness. There is a spirit of grace. It's not the same as niceness. It's God's will. Verse 30. For we know him. Again, this is, we're considering one another and what will happen if we reject Christ after hearing this gospel. For we know him that has said, vengeance belongs to me. I will recompense, says the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. That's why we have to consider one another. The Lord will judge his people. We, we don't want to cross the finish line and think, you know what? My brother Adrian, he could be here for eternal life, but he got discouraged and I didn't care. I just let him go. No way. It's like we cross and we all cheer. Wow. Eternal life. With Christ. All of us. Consider one another. He says here. the, the Lord will judge his people. The Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. This again is in the context of consider one another. It's a fearful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days. In which after you were illuminated. You endured a great fight of afflictions. So this congregation suffered. They were illuminated. They accepted Christ. They became followers of Christ. They were enlightened. And they were persecuted. And they stood up to the persecution. And he says, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. So he's congratulating them for enduring the affliction. And that endurance was partly direct, and it was partly indirect. That those who were imprisoned, those who had their property confiscated, those who were persecuted, the church supported them. And they were made a gazing stock. And this is our future. When we read verse 33, this is the future for Christians. Because the elite have decided they must expunge the Judeo-Christian foundation out of society. And the best way to do that is to bring in people by the truckloads who are hostile to this Judeo-Christian culture. You know, and basically... The white, heterosexual, Christian male is the target. If we bring him down, Christianity comes down with him. So if you're white, heterosexual, Christian male, the gloves are off. The New York Times, this is from Fox News, the New York Times is standing by its hiring of tech writer Sarah Young Despite several derogatory tweets of hers aimed at white people, which were recently unearthed on her Twitter account. This is amazing. This is in the context of anybody saying anything remotely racist, having to grovel and beg for forgiveness in order to hold on to their jobs. And people are going back 20 years and saying, you said something 20 years ago, which was racist. And they're begging and saying, please forgive me. I didn't know I'm changed. I'm a changed person now. Here, this woman, hired by the New York Times, this is her tweet. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling goblins? I would think somebody who says this is fired immediately. And and you distance yourself from them. Nope. They're standing by. She wrote this in 2014, four years ago. And then she had a graph that shows the x-axis is whiteness. The y-axis is awfulness. And the more white you are, the more awful you are. And this is celebrated. Could you imagine if it was reversed? Let's, let's talk about uh, uh, blackness and awfulness. And the more black you are, the more awful you are. Could anybody get away with that? Could anybody get away with criticizing Islam? Can you criticize women? Can you criticize the disabled? But you can criticize the white male. Because the objective is to bring down Christianity. And this is where we're heading. Verse 34. Paul says... You had compassion of me in my bonds. So Paul was in prison. And no doubt, again, Tommy Robinson is a great symbol of Christian courage, Christian values. That he is outraged that 10, 11-year-old girls can be abused by by industrial-scale rape squads. And he's speaking out against it. But he must be silenced and imprisoned and tortured for that, swiftly. But the actual perpetrators, they didn't understand. It's a a different culture. Let them go. And then when he's imprisoned, there's a narrative spun about him, how evil he is and how he deserves it. And everybody jumps on the bandwagon. And no doubt that's exactly what happened to Paul. We can see from today the way the devil works to get an understanding of how he worked here. But these Christians didn't accept the narrative. They said, no, Paul's not like that. And they had compassion for him when he was in prison and took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. So because they supported him, their goods were confiscated and they took it joyfully. Knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance, they understood the gospel. They understood that there's a crown in heaven waiting for them and Christ is coming with that reward. Then he says this, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Don't don't lose your confidence for you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And Paul understood that. And we must understand that death doesn't matter. What matters is faithfulness to God. He says, for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and not tarry. Now, verse 38. This is, what, this is the immediate introduction to Hebrews 11. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So again, the context is consider one another. And what Paul is saying is the just shall live by faith. As we consider one another, if any of us draw back, God will have no pleasure in him. He's quoting from Habakkuk. And what's interesting is if you compare this to Romans 1, 16 and 17, and Galatians 3, 10 and 11, Paul uses the same phrase or quotes the same phrase in those books, but in Romans, he emphasizes faith. The just shall live by faith. In Galatians, he emphasizes the just. The just shall live by faith. Here in Hebrews, he's emphasizing life. It's about life. The church is coming under intense, possibly fatal persecution. And he's saying the just shall live by faith. And he's going to prove that. And the way that he proves that, he's going to give the Hebrews a list of dead people. So you will live by faith and proof that you will live by faith. Well, here's a long list of dead people. That's how he does it. And that's the context of Hebrews 11. It's about life. That all of these people chose death. Because they had a promise. And they believed in that promise. And death was nothing. In fact, they chose death. In order to hold on to their profession. So that they could live forever. Now, I don't have the time to do it now. But he's quoting from Habakkuk. Habakkuk, if you go from verse, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 4, and just read that whole context before coming into Hebrews 11, what we see is God is orchestrating this persecution. That, that Habakkuk is crying out to God and complaining, saying in the covenant community there is so much corruption, there is so much wickedness, and I keep complaining to you, God, and you don't do anything about it. And then God answers him and says, I am doing something about it. And you won't believe me even if I tell you. And then he tells Habakkuk, and Habakkuk says, I don't believe it. And he says, yes, this is what I'm doing. I'm going into what we call Iraq today. And I'm raising up a nation, a very bitter and hasty nation. And I'm going to use that nation to slaughter my church, to slaughter my people. And then Habakkuk says, no way. We will not die. And God says, you're right, the just will not die. The just will live. Despite the slaughter, I'll bring the just back to life. And they'll live by faith. And so that's the context for Hebrews 11. And if we look at Hebrews 11, sorry, let's just go um, verse 39 first. So the, the emphasis of 38 is living. The just will live. And then in verse 39, but we are not of them who draw back unto unto what? Perdition. That if, if anybody draws back, what they're actually drawing back to is perdition. That's why we have to consider one another. We can't allow this. Not on our watch. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So there's a category of people who've already given up. And we're not of that category. We're of the category of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So this list of dead people believed to the saving of the soul. That's, that's the context for uh, chapter 11. Now, I get the feeling that I'm pushing your patience. Am I, how, how are we doing? Should we wrap up now? Okay. Good. So that's the introduction. So we can now get into the sermon. <laughs> no, I get it. I think I will uh, wrap up, and we can talk more in the um, in the discussion. I, I do thank you for your attention. Uh, but that's the context of the faith chapter. That God is orchestrating a work which we would not believe. That He is the one that's actually designing the cleanup of His church. Isaiah says that. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. The hypocrites are caught off guard guard within God's body. So there's this cleanup of the church that's going to take place. But the just, those who are justified, those who Christ sets aside as righteous, we shall live. How? By faith. Faith in what? Faith in the promise. So Hebrews 11 verse 1 And again, if if you remember the chart now, he's coming back into the argument of faith and the importance of faith. So he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. And that's what we're after. We're after a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So it's all about believing in the invisible and how powerful the invisible is. Verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then drop down to verse By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise. Think about this, brethren. He went out didn't know where he was going and then he sojourned he stayed in the land of promise how as in a strange country this was the land that God promised to him and he sojourned in this land as if he was in a, as if he was in a foreign country it's his land but he's living in the land like a foreigner dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob The heirs with him of the same promise. So they the promise is also to them. They're the heirs of the promise and they're behaving like pilgrims. Like there's no promise at all. Like if you were to look at them, you'd think like, are you crazy? All of this land is yours and you're living in tents like foreigners. For he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So he understood this land is my land. But this is not the city that I'm looking for. I- I'm going, Abraham basically understood. I'm going to be the father of the world. From this land. So the way that it's configured right now has nothing to do with me. And though I go to my grave. I know he's faithful that promised. And here's the heir. And we're going to, you'll read a bit later, I won't read it today. Here's the heir, and God is telling me to offer him. I used to be an idolater, now I can put nobody before God. And God is telling me to offer the heir, but he's the heir. Oh, I'm supposed to be a father of many nations that you cannot count, and they're to come out of my body, out of Isaac. But I'm going to sacrifice him, because he's faithful that promised. I, just, I believe in the promise. And so I don't know how this is going to work out, but there must be a way he's going to come back to life. I don't know how this land thing is going to work out, but I know it's mine, and I know that God is going to be here with me. This is how we have to think. And so here in verse 13, the, the reason we know that we shall live forever is because these, this list of men, in verse 13 he says, these all died how did they die in faith these all died in faith not having received the promises this is amazing they didn't need tangible evidence that God is not a liar they just knew it's impossible for God to lie and he's made this promise I'm good I don't know how it's going to work out I'm good bring all the haters of the Bible here and put them up in hotels and let them desecrate the Bible to show how much they hate the word of God. And I don't know how this is going to work out, but I do know this. We are the kings of the earth. We will be in this land with Abraham and we will be facilitating the relationship between God and man. I don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to work out. And these haters of the Bible, when they come, It may mean our death. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I know that Abraham believed that Isaac could come back to life. Because God is not a liar. And so it doesn't matter. We have eternal life in us. And it cannot be taken away. And proof of that is all these people who died not having received the promises. Because they knew he's faithful that promised. So he says not having received the promise, promises, but having seen them afar off. They could see it, and they were persuaded of them. And they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And this is our confession. We can see the time is approaching. Everything is accelerating. People are getting discouraged. We're getting encouraged. This this is a work that we would not believe even if it were told us. But you know what? We we believe. Through faith we believe. It's going to get bad. Then it's going to get really 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 bad. And then it's going to get worse. And then the Lord will come. And he's faithful that promised. So this is about life. We have to believe in eternity. And what's going on here, what's going on today, is illusion, and it's all temporary. And so the argument is, understand, first movement, who this messenger is. How superior he is to any other messenger that came before. And the consequences of not believing the previous messengers were devastating. The consequences of not believing the Son of God are incalculable. Believe in the Son of God. Consider the high priest. A superior high priest of the Melchizedekian eternal order. Administering a superior covenant. In a superior tabernacle. With a superior offering. This is who we believe in. Hold fast the profession of our faith. And then let's consider one another. And the way we can help each other is to be very familiar with all these different stories of people who died in faith so that when a brother or sister is wavering we can understand how to exhort how to encourage how to provoke unto love and good works Brethren, eternity is ours as long as we believe This has been a podcast from the Burlington Congregation of the Church of God International we hope you are blessed by it. To find out more about CGI Burlington, visit our website at CGIBurlington.org.